What is up, everybody? It is April 13th, 2021. This is episode 172 of the Get After Podcast. I'm stoked for my guest today. Um, this is going to be right up your alley if you are a, in sales, if you're a producer, if you are in real estate. Um, our guest today is Scott Groves. Now, Scott, he's a loan officer in uh, East LA County. I had a chance to connect with Scott uh, last year as a part of a mastermind group. And um, you're just going to love this guy's energy. He's a, he's a coach. Um, he's a best-selling author of, uh, of the book, uh, 61 Days to Double Your Pay. You know, th- this guy is, you're going to, you guys are going to feel the energy immediately, uh, when you get, when, when we jump into this interview, um, his team has funded almost a billion dollars in mortgages. He's been in the game for over 20 years. Um, there's just there's just so much. And you know, his book title, if you want to check this out, it's a 61-day read. So you, there's 61 chapters. It's it's called Lead Generation, Double Your Pay in 61 Days. And and I, I there's so much here for Scott. He's also the host of the On the Edge podcast with Scott Groves. Um I'm really stoked for this one. We had a blast. Uh, we talked about everything from mindset with sales and uh, real estate, how crazy the real estate market is. There's so much you can learn from real estate, whether you're in that market or not. Um, and uh, also talked a little bit about where Scott's from, what his background's like. Um, and man, I, I just can't, I already can't wait to bring him back on and bring more of his wisdom and share it with, with y'all. So without further ado, um, Mr. Scott Groves. This is the Get After It Podcast, where young professionals, entrepreneurs, and action takers learn what it takes to be a high performer. This is more than a podcast. It's a movement. Now, let's get after it with your host, Aaron Griffin. All right, let's go. Let's go, Scott. Hey, first of all, stoked to have you here. Welcome in, guys. Another episode of the Get After It Podcast. I'm absolutely fired up for uh, for my guest, Scott. Uh, you know, Scott. Actually, before I even get into this, um, we connected last year, like right before COVID for the first time in person at that event out in Los Angeles. And um, man, you've been up to a ton. You've got the new podcast out. Obviously, real estate's been absolutely nuts. Um, we're going to have a fun, ranted, riveted conversation that I think is going to go wide ranging on a few different topics. Dude, welcome to the show. Really appreciate your time and taking some time for the audience here this afternoon. Thanks so much, Aaron. I appreciate it, man. And yeah, I, uh, I loved your energy when we met. I can't believe it was only a year and a half ago. It feels like so much has changed since then, including the fact that you're down like 50 pounds, 80 pounds. So congratulations <laughs> on your, uh, your health journey, man. But uh, yeah, excited to be here and excited to uh, get after it, as you say. I appreciate you. appreciate you. Yeah. So, so actually when Scott and I last connected, I think it was late January in Los Angeles that, so what, about a month before COVID and, um, you know, we just obviously went through your bio at the top of the show, but can you kind of maybe take our take our audience back a little bit? Um, I know uh, I remember you from uh, obviously you had your coaching business. You've got a really successful book that you've launched um, um, that continues to bring in passive income for you, but also probably passive leads too. I'm sure that leads into your real estate work, and uh, you've got your new podcast. Take us into maybe the elevator speech a little bit more on your background and and kind of who you are, and maybe how the audience can relate to you and some of the work that you've done. Yeah, sure. So uh, this year turned 42 and I am a man of many distractions. Um, what's crazy is I've been doing home loans 
uh, half of my life. I've been doing home loans for 21, for 21 years since I got out of the army. So got out of the army when I was 21, uh, fell right into Washington Mutual, being a banker, a teller. Three months later, they were going to fire me. Instead, they promoted me to do loans, which was pretty cool. Uh, so started doing loans. And then that's been really my primary focus, primary job for 21 years. Uh, about seven years ago, fell in love, got married, had two kids pretty quickly. So I got two little little ones, a three and a five-year-old. And then just, you know, the success in the mortgage business spun itself into a coaching business for mortgage loan officers. That spun itself into writing a book on lead generation. And so now I coach or talk on the subject of lead generation. And then I've got like a little bit of this, uh, you know, creative vein in me. And I like to argue about politics and I like to keep in, in touch with current events. So I started a podcast completely void of any business talk called On the Edge Podcast. And, uh, you know, we just like to interview cool people, get in some political fights, have some uh, some heated discussion on that podcast. But yeah, you know, I'm still still doing mortgages 40 or 50 hours a week coaching 10 hours a week, uh, doing this podcast five or 10 hours a week, try to be a good father and a good husband. And I just don't sleep a lot. So uh, yeah, that's my life in a nutshell. I was waiting for you to say, try to be a good father and husband five to 10 hours a week, but no, 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 we'll go into this. All right. All right. So we got, uh, we got a lot of things you're going with, by the way, you should check out this podcast on the edge. It's a, it's a, I was just telling him how cool the studio he's got set up and I've listened to a couple of your episodes. It's a, it's a cool format. I really love it. Honestly, like, Obviously, with COVID, everybody decided to be a um, political commentator on on social media. I always felt like you had some of the best takes, just to throw it out there. So not to not to do an endorsement of all the political takes, but I haven't listened to all of them. But like you know, Scott, you seem to know what's going on. You're 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 right in the field of of leadership, and you're also in the field of insanity, which is Los Angeles. When I actually left California during this pandemic, how are things going out there? Just in California in general, are things picking back up? I've heard things are picking back up a little bit. No, you're rolling your eyes. All right. How are things? Yeah. You know, California, it's a tale of two cities, right? It's, it's really Mm. becoming more and more stratified. I don't know if that's the right word, uh, with the haves and the have nots. Right. So I've got, I've got clients, you know, who can't wait to, buy a house for $1.3 million, their first home, a starter house, they're putting big money down. Um, And that's half the population, it feels like. And the other half of the population is really suffering. You know, they have more of those service industry jobs. We've got a massive homeless problem out here. So it's kind of interesting because in the world in which I live with my friends, family, my in-laws and whatnot, I kind of straddle that world between people who have no problem coming up with half a million dollars down to buy a house in Los Angeles and the other half of the world who works in the service industry and they're, you know, scratching and clawing just to stay alive and pay their rent. And uh, I feel very blessed to be on the mortgage side of things because interest rates have been low for, you know, feels like 10 years, but they've been really low for a year. So we just had an amazing year in the mortgage industry. We're able to help a ton of families actually able to donate a lot of money to help out some families that were really in need uh, but it's crazy, dude. It's it's crazy in California. I used to make the joke that in the mortgage world, it was condo to castle. And now it's really like homelessness to castle because you'll have, you know, a homelessness, uh, a homeless encampment right at the base of a condo project where there's million dollar condos. And it's, it's weird, man. It's, it's, it's a weird situation out here in LA right now. Let's, uh, let's, let's change gears though. Let's talk. I'm curious in your coaching. I actually, maybe I've been a, maybe I've been a mole. Maybe I've had my head in the sand. I haven't actually heard you talk too much about your, your, your coaching, maybe online or whatever the case is. 
who's the perfect person for you to work with and how, how long have you been working in that coaching business? Was it before you launched the book? Or I think you mentioned it was before. Tell us a little bit about what you do with your coaching work. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And I know you've experienced this in different fields that you've worked in where when you're good at something, people just find you, right? And they call you and they say, hey, can I get five minutes? Can I get 10 minutes? And uh, one of my old business partners is a great guy named Justin. He, I think he coined the term intellectual philanthropist. And he's like, dude, if you get on the phone with somebody, you can't help but help them and give them all of your knowledge and your helpful tips and whatnot. And so what I found is like people were calling me to, you know, pick your brain for five minutes. That would turn into a half hour conversation. And then it starts to detract from your core business, which for me is doing mortgages. And so mm -hmm. what we figured out is I was like, hey, you've got calls. Let's all just jump on like a mastermind call on Thursday morning. And that turned from like three people to 10 people to 20 people. And uh, then I'm like, well, if I'm going to do this, I might as well charge for it, right? Anything worth doing well is worth charging money for it. So uh, yep. we, we turned that into a coaching program. Now we've got 120 coaching clients, all loan officers, uh, all grown organically. And frankly, because that's kind of my side hustle, that's just adjacent to my primary business. I don't advertise it. I don't focus a lot on it. I've got two amazing rock star assistants, uh, one locally and one in the Philippines that effectively manage that whole coaching business. And I just kind of step on stage an hour or two a week. We do the coaching, we add the value, and then I step off stage and I go back to doing mortgages all day long. So yeah. um, the coaching business kind of runs itself, but it's, you know, it's, it's low time commitment for me, but high impact for the people that we're helping, which is pretty awesome. And that's frankly why I don't talk about it much online because it just, it just kind of all happens organically. Yeah. Yeah. Do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy that gig most or out of everything that you're doing, what do you enjoy the most in terms of the time that you, you kind of pour your, in terms of, in terms of all the pockets that you put your stuff into, is it the coaching that you enjoy the most or is it the, cause it sounds like you have a lot of the housekeeping tasks of the coaching all delegated off to the team so that you actually just jump on and you're just making the impact when you do it. Is that what you live for? Is that what you really enjoy or is it something else? You know, it's interesting. What I really live for is going to uh, jujitsu with my three-year-old and my five-year-old, like see, seeing them learn and my five-year-old, like try to figure out how to put dad in an arm bar. That's, that's, that's kind of what I live for. I mean, those are, those are the most fun moments, you know, and I love I love that we have an awesome team so that two days a week when I want to leave at four or five at a reasonable hour and take the kids to jujitsu, we have that opportunity. Um, I would say, you know, going back to your original question, is it the coaching, is it the mortgage, is it the podcasting? The, the thing that I'm learning, the older that I get, and I know that you have a little bit maybe of a younger professional audience. The thing that I'm learning, the older I get, is you just hire good people ahead of demand. So, you know, I've got one lady named Anne and now a second lady named Melanie who are coming in to really help us grow the mortgage business because we've gotten to a point where like one person, me, I can't have all the daily conversations that need to happen with 30 clients plus 30 realtors plus 60 people that are out shopping. Uh, like I said, on the mortgage business, I've got a gal named Danielle and another named uh, Donna who run the coaching business. And then we've got a marketing person. So one uh, one, it feels good to employ other people and make sure that other people are making, you know, more money than they have in the past. Uh, and then two, the more that you can lay off of the $20, $50, $30, $70 an hour tasks to other people mm -hmm. and pay them fairly, and then really focus on the high dollar items of generating new leads, closing deals and creating content. You know, if you can get to a place, I don't care what business you're in. If you can get to a place where you're just like building relationships, creating leads and, and designing the content and kind of 
moving the chess pieces around the board and then count on other really good people to fill in the gaps. I mean, that's where the excitement is. Like, do mm. I do I get excited about getting up anymore and looking at tax returns? Fuck no. Sorry, excuse my language. But if I never have to analyze another tax return again, I will be I will be an ecstatic man. Um, but helping somebody get into a home for the first time, that stuff is still exciting and still fires me up. Mm. Mm. And your book uh, is available on Amazon. It's a bestseller there. It's lead generate 61 days to double your pay. I'm curious. You've had, obviously, a lot of people have read this book. You've sold thousands and thousands of copies of this book and also through your coaching. And you've seen, look, you're in real estate. Let's just be honest. You've watched people absolutely burn out and you've also watched people absolutely kill it. And you've got that, really, one of the things I love about you guys, you have that real, you have that real estate energy, which is what I absolutely love. I want you to tell me though, for, for our audience specifically, we get a lot of young guns listening to this, people who are looking to scale, looking to uh, totally different positions, right? And in, in this economy, we have people who are, 25 or 20 and they're absolutely running away they're killing the game and then we also have people that same age grab they don't even know what to do they're out of school they're living with their parents they're trying to put put things together i'm curious for you this book is entirely uh written around results it's 61 days to double your pay what are the characteristics what are the things that you see people do that either read the book or, or even just work with you what are the characteristics of people that actually do double their pay the people that actually come in and get results quickly they scale up and they start, they, they, what, what are the characteristics that stand out to you of people that come into a game and crush it either with their mentors, with implementing actions from the book, anything that stands out that you think uh, listeners could at least look at and say, okay, how am I, how can I, how can I implement this? How can I, how can I copy what somebody else is doing that's finding success right now? Because you just mentioned the tale of two cities. That seems to be a lot after COVID. I know people who are waiting for COVID to get over. I know people who are been I mean, never stop killing it, right? They were killing it before COVID. They're still crushing it now. What are some of the characteristics you see of people who have been students of yours that are actually, you know, following everything that you preach and they're doubling their pay and they're killing and they're working their business and their lives? Big question. Easy yeah, question, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Just, just how, how do you double your pay in 30 seconds? Um, you know, it's interesting. I wrote the book, obviously, with a mortgage background. But to your point, I've seen now over 21 years, I've seen the title reps, the homeowners insurance reps, the realtors, you know, the appraise. I've seen everybody in the mortgage business and the housing industry and adjacent to these industries, like you said, crush it on a continuous scale, or, you know, they have one big pop and then they burn out and you never hear from them again. And, you know, like anything else, it's just habits and consistency. And what I write in the book, the reason it's a 61 day kind of, um, daily habit builder and every six you know you read a chapter a day right it's like between a page and three pages a day for 61 days because most of the science says that it takes somewhere between 30 and 60 days to generate a habit so i'm like well, i'll just throw on an extra day there for good measure and it rolled off the tongue nicely so we got 61 days to build a new habit of becoming a lead generator and i really don't care what job you're in if you're the person who can generate leads or help so your team true. generate leads, you will always have a job. You mm. will always have a job. And right or wrong, you know, I feel say I, I feel bad saying this because some of our support staff is here working from my home. Um, a lot of support staff comes and goes. And sadly, when companies have to make decisions, they downsize support staff long before they downsize the group of people that can generate revenue. So mm. for any of the younger people in the audience have an aptitude for wanting to go into sales, uh, go into sales. And if you can 
Now, if you can consistently support somebody like me who can generate leads, but can't, you know, check the boxes or stay focused to save my life, well, then you always have a job as well. So there's definitely a place for those people as well. Um, but on the lead generation, I would say the number one thing of the people that succeed is they just establish that daily habit, right? Because yeah. you and I both know this, it's really easy to go into work and put in six hours, 16 hours, 26 hours a day and be busy, but not be productive. And mm. what I'm trying to explain to people in the book, no matter what industry you're in, is like, hey, every day, depending on the industry, you got to take somewhere between half an hour and several hours a day to proactively work on your business, which is the lead generation versus the minutia of working in your business. The problem is so many people, yeah. even professional salespeople, they come in, they start responding to their email and their day is gone, right? So if you don't have a consistent, like, this is my window, this is when I do lead generation, this is when I commit to working on my business instead of in my business, you're screwed from like, you know, minute one of walking into your workday. But if you either read the book or kind of, you know, self-diagnose your problem or read any other book on daily habits and you say, look, every day, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, two hours, whatever, I'm going to work on lead generation and prospecting and calling and connecting and deepening those relationships. Everything else just magically takes care of itself. And then guess what? You still find plenty of time to do all that busy work anyway. You've just, you've got to get the lead generation out of the way early and often, or you're just never going to see any increase in your pipeline and your revenue. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think of those lead generation, it's like uh referred to it a friend of it that we've had travis peters on the show he talks about it. it's like a revenue generating activity and it's amazing how as entrepreneurs or as as, uh, as producers frankly uh the revenue generating activities quite literally are the reason the business is there but they're also sometimes it's the first thing on the chopping block right like the busy work somehow always gets done it's the revenue generating activities that often get cut i used to say this with the painting business and i actually find myself talking about it more and more with our clients as they're as they're getting consistent results in coaching it's like you actually don't have a sales problem even the worst sales people in the world which it comes down to if you're you typically and maybe you disagree with this or agree most people i know who are bad at sales. They just don't have enough reps. Anybody can get good at sales if they get the reps in and, the, and then they're willing to work with a mentor on it. That might be another piece of the piece of the equation, but usually they lack reps, which it all goes back to, you don't have a sales problem. You have a marketing problem. If you have enough leads coming in, if the pipeline is full of leads, it's really hard to have a sales problem, right? Because ultimately, even if it's, even if you're closing at a five to 10 or 15% clip or whatever would be considered small in your industry, you're still having multiple leads to keep coming through, which means more reps, you can get better at it, whatever the case is. That's where most people lack though. And maybe sometimes it goes in cycles, right? Especially depending on your work that you're at, you get a big lead influx, you're feeling really good, you're on the phones, you're getting calls, you get sales come through and it's a lot, you're experiencing all the good stuff, but then what happens? You're not on the phones. You're not doing the things that led to that revenue in the first place, which is why so few make it in the game, right? Ultimately. Not much of a question there. You have a comment though? You want to go on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, uh, Darren Hardy wrote that book, the, the entrepreneur's roller coaster. And I, yeah. I swear I'm going to rewrite it one day and just call it the salesperson's roller coaster. Cause it's true. It's like you do all the activities, you do all the activities, you grow, you grow, you grow in the mortgage industry. It's like you grow, you grow, you close 10 deals. And then you're like, Oh shit, I forgot to prospect. And then the next month you close two deals. And then you're like, all right, yep. well, I got to get some more deals on the table. Let me make the calls. Let me do the things grow, grow, grow close 10 deals. Yes. I'm on cloud nine. 
but I forgot to do the lead generating activities. And then the next month you're back down to closing two deals. And it's this salesperson roller coaster over and over and over again until finally you decide like, all right, I'm going to commit to consistent lead generation. I'm going to make it a habit. Uh, you know, one of the first things you have to do in my book is write a check to somebody you don't like for a big dollar amount that's going to hurt. And if you fall off the, uh, fall off the 61 days, you, you've got to give that to an accountability partner so they mail it. So I will tell you, when I was getting ready to write this book, uh, and it had been kind of a, a passion project, and then you and I both went through Chandler Bull, I was like, all right, I'm going to finish this book this weekend. I gave my friend a $2,000 check to a political party that I was not happy with. And I said, if this book's not done by Monday night at midnight, I want you to mail this check. And sure enough, book got done by Monday morning. Um, so, you know, some of it is the accountability yeah. and just sticking to it. And um, yeah, any of your readers that want, just send me an email, send you a free copy of the book. And I'm not here to make eight bucks off the book. <laughs> what was your, uh, no, you should, you, it, the, the book's worth more than the eight bucks, but I appreciate that. And you guys can uh, get in contact. We'll talk about Scott's social here at the end. So you can get in contact and follow his stuff. Scott, take us back though. What, uh, who was Scott Groves and in, in, let's say uh, 18 year old Scott Groves. Are you from Los Angeles originally? So yeah, 18 year old Scott Groves was probably a troublemaker. Um, I'm, uh, I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. My dad's job moved us around. So I lived kind of like all yeah. over the valley, um, moved up to like uh, Northern Los Angeles County. Was I breaking up there pretty bad? No, you're good. You're good. You're good. I got you. You're coming in strong. Cool. I'm We're right. all good. Um, for some reason, my, my computer is trying to switch over to my hotspot. So give me a second here. Um, all right, there we go. Um, okay, cool. Uh, I we'll just can you edit that out? Is that cool, or we just keep going? Let's rip. Let's rip it. We're good. We're live. Let's go. We're not live, but you know, perfect. We're ready to go. Uh, cool. Yeah. So, eighteen-year-old probably a probably a troublemaker. Uh, Ray, born and raised here in uh, Los Angeles, moved around a lot, and uh, frankly, my senior year, I got straight A's in high school, but. I had 52 absences because I uh, discovered girls and uh, I discovered surfing and I was uh, on the wrestling team. So I had a lot of absences for that. And my school district had this rule where like, if you had more than 50 absences, you could not graduate no matter what your grades were. So my mom had to go throw herself on the mercy of the school board just for me to graduate. I clearly was not in a position to send in a bunch of college applications. And so I just signed up for the army and left. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because had I gone to college, I would probably would have drank myself out of, uh, out of college or gotten into a lot of trouble. So uh, Army taught us a lot of discipline, a lot of daily habits, which probably, you know, pan themselves out in this book in some way. And then just, you know, got out of the Army like everybody else, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, yeah, fell into banking. Like nobody grows up saying, I want to be a loan officer. But then they fall into it somehow, find out that you can make good money, you can help a lot of people. And uh, yeah, just went, went from there and just kept growing. Went effectively bankrupt. I should have declared bankruptcy in 2009 like everybody else in the mortgage industry, but stayed the course, paid all that debt off, stuck in the business and very thankful I did because there's been, there's been some great years the last couple of years. You're muted, my friend. So, so uh, let's actually, I'm, I'm thinking on this, uh, 
I'm super, I'm super not a keen to real estate, right? Like my brother, I think I've mentioned this maybe before. My, my brother's a buyer's agent in, in the Detroit market. So he's obviously all in this industry, right? Right. But I'm like super ignorant of real estate in general. Where were you at in terms of the, uh, in, in 2007, 2008 and that whole, and that whole disaster, were you in the thick of things? Can you talk a little bit about where you were at in your career and your life when that all, when all that hit the fan? Yeah, definitely in the thick of things. Um, I worked for Washington Mutual, which interesting trivia, Washington Mutual is the largest bank to ever fail in the history of the world uh, by depositors, by number of employees, by any metric whatsoever. Washington Mutual is the largest bank to ever shit the bed and go bankrupt. And um, so it was, it was this crazy run up where I worked inside the bank branch, which is ironic because a lot of the things that bankrupted Washington Mutual was coming from externalities like deals and mortgages and companies they were buying externally. And then internally, we didn't even have access to a bunch of the loan products that ended up bankrupting the bank. So it's like, I didn't get the full upside in the revenue, but that I got all the downside when they went bankrupt. So I uh, was working in the mortgage industry. Obviously, you know, there was kind of financial blood in the streets here in Los Angeles. Property values lost like 50%. You know, for comparison purposes, our team will probably close between 18 and 30 loans uh, a month throughout the course of this year, which is good. You know, not like super rock star, but that's a really good month for a loan officer. Back in 2008, 2009, 2010, I was lucky if I closed, uh, closed a loan or two loans uh, a month. You know, I think, uh, I think in 2009, I made $18,000 the entire year. Uh, so it was definitely, definitely some rough times. Again, like I said, probably should have just declared bank bankruptcy and walked away from everything, but didn't and kept things and spent 10 years paying everything off. So, uh, you know, heat, heat of the moment, uh, I stayed in the, stayed in the fire for some reason. I don't know why. And got, uh, got really lucky with a couple mentors Got really lucky with a couple real estate relationships where I was able to work in-house at a couple real estate offices. And then from like 2010 to 2015, just doubled business and doubled income every single year for five years. You know, luckily I didn't have any kids. I didn't have any obligations. I wasn't coaching the church softball team or anything. So I just, I really worked like a hundred hours a week for five years. And uh, I don't recommend that to anybody because I gained a bunch of weight and felt like shit. My health pretty much went to shit. There was probably a smarter way to do it. But at the time, you know, there was just such a scarcity mindset coming out of 2009. I was terrified to even hire somebody or give up a dollar of revenue. And now I'm more than happy to hire good people to do all the work that I don't want to do. You know, that's interesting. I'm, I'm also thinking on, uh, can you hear me by the way? With the microphone yeah, we got you. Over. Cool. I'm, because uh, obviously when I did, you, you saw me, you actually, we connected after I did, um, I scaled that painting business and we did, when I left, when I left university, it was, um, it was a really weird environment, right? Cause I was 19 when I moved out to Massachusetts and I took over, I don't know, Scott, how much you know about this? I'll just breeze over it, but it's interesting. I could relate to this. Cause it was like, I took over a division that had done 400,000 in revenue, um, the year prior. And that was down from two years ago, over a million in revenue out of that. When they had launched the division and the leadership had fled, there was, the division was going to get shut down. I mean, how does a 19 year old find themselves at the head of a division? A lot of people bailed on the division. I mean, that was the only reason it wasn't. I mean, certainly I was the top performer the two years I was with the company beforehand, but like, you don't just get that position unless a bunch of things go wrong. And if a 19 year old is the divisional manager, that means something at the company has gone real bad. <laughs> and it's, you know, but what was interesting about that moment and, and it was, 
obviously, you know, you rise to the occasion. We did really well. I mean, we rebounded from there. We did. We division actually today is on pace to do almost three million in revenues. When I left, we did over one point eight. And when I, that being said, I went into a season of my life for about two and a half, two two and a half years of head down. I didn't know anything else better to do because all of my friends were partying in college. They were, and I had the social media where I could see what everybody was doing. And I was just on a total isolation course because everybody I interacted with and I knew worked for me. And the only way that I knew, the only thing I knew to do with my time was to work. So I was putting in, I mean, to say hundred hour weeks might even be an understatement. I mean, I lived my job. My job was co-twingle with my identity. So what, what happened with that? I was making good money. So why do I need to cook? Cooking went right out the window, right? Like I literally ate out for everything and 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 do something in January. That was the result of it. I mean, I ballooned up to over 300 pounds. Social life wasn't existent. There was a lot of problems there. But at the same time, I can't help but say like, there's so much, like it accelerated so much in terms of what I learned on a soft skills measure and being able to, I mean, nobody, none of these universities that I worked with in terms of running the recruiting departments for, and none of them thought I was 20, 21 years old when I was building up relationships with them. They all probably thought I was in my upper twenties or thirties or whatever the case was before it got leaked to the division. Everybody thought it was over 25. So there's like, it's weird how like life works like that, right? It puts you in a season where maybe you had to go through something like that in order to really appreciate where you're at now, where it's like, I, I understand now it's like, if I don't get the sleep that I need, or the, if I'm not actually living the lifestyle I have, I know that I'm leaving something in the tank. I'm not going to be able to scale a business that's actually going to be able to serve me, but also be able to serve my clients and serve and serve everything in the, the way it's supposed to ultimately. Um, do you think back on that in those early, those early years that actually served, like, do you think you have the book, have the podcast, have kind of the, not even so much the influence, Scott, but like the, the personality and the drive. Do you think you have that without those years in the trenches that kind of came out of it? You know, it's interesting because, you know, there's that old saying that youth is wasted on the young, right? Because it's like, if I, if I only knew then what I know now, it's like, yeah, I would have worked. I, not only would I have worked as hard, I probably would have worked harder. Um, but having more structure to my day, right? Like maybe I would have got up at uh, 5.30 instead of 6.30 and got in a workout or, you know, been working towards that jujitsu, uh, you know, blue belt, purple belt, black belt, whatever, uh, in my 20s. Because like, it's that compound effect, right? If I would have started doing jujitsu in my 20s instead of my 40s, I'd be world-class by now. And, you know, I, I, I don't ever regret staying out late with my friends, and, and building those relationships and having a great time and then having to be at work at eight o'clock in the morning to make calls all day. However, did I really need to start my day with chow mein and a, a giant Dr. Pepper? Like there probably were some healthier choices I could have made there, you know? So uh, like I said, youth is wasted on the young. And uh, if I could go back in time, I probably would have done a couple things. I probably would have worked even harder. Uh, I would have taken a few more vacations. I think of some vacations with an ex-girlfriend of mine who was lovely, who I passed on several times because I had to work, I had to work, I had to work. Like, guess what? When Washington Mutual failed, they didn't give a shit about Scott Groves. I probably should have taken the two-week trip to New Zealand. Uh, so I would have taken some more vacations. I would have worked harder when I was there. And then I would have saved a lot more money. You know, I look at the houses that I owned in my 20s 
that I either sold and then moved up or I sold and I took a small profit and went to Vegas and, you know, went, went crazy for a couple of days. I, I would have saved more, worked harder and taken better care of my health, you know, because once you once you start packing on the 10 or 20 pounds in your 20s and then that becomes another 10 or 20 pounds in your 30s. Well, then all of a sudden in your 40s, like I'm, I am right now you know, you're 200 instead of 180. And it gets significantly harder to drop that weight one because your metabolism and then two, just because you've got 20 years of bad eating and drinking habits and whatnot. So, you know, for your younger people in the audience work harder, but work a little bit more, a little bit smarter, save way more than you think you need to. And I'm not saying you have to be, you know, perfect and no caffeine, no fat, no alcohol, but like, just don't start your morning with chow mein on Saturday morning to like recuperate from the hangover. You know, there's no reason to drink 80 ounces of Dr. Pepper on a Saturday morning to get your heart started again. Oh, geez. I love it. Uh, I, um, oh, there's so many directions I can go with that. Let's, let's, let's stick with this though. Appreciate your time here. Um, Scott, how did, um, just to go, go personally here. How did, how did having, uh, you got two kids, you said they're three and five, correct? Huh. Yeah, three and five years old. And I also have an 18-year-old, 19-year-old now from a, uh, a previous relationship. And he lives in New York. He's actually coming out for the week this Sunday. So I'm pretty excited. How, oh, wow. Okay. So, so how, did, how, how has having kids changed the way you look at things and changed the way that you, when you look back on that, how is it? Because realistically, I guess then you probably, I guess for the last 18 years, how did that change the trajectory of your life and where you're at and, and just the way that you viewed things? So this is a whole nother podcast, but uh, my 19 year old, I didn't actually meet him or really know that he existed until he was 15. So that's a, that's a whole different no, podcast. Well, 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 you know what? So, so that's actually, yeah, let's not, so really the last five years, how has the last five, that's almost a whirlwind, but yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go into that. How has this changed yeah. your, your way you look at professional life and yeah, work and life? Last five years, I've realized that, um, I had to pick my business partners and my referral sources more strategically because, you know, after I had kids and I was happily married and wanted to spend time with my family, I remember this one realtor and I, I will remember this till the day I die. This realtor texted me and he was like, Hey, you know, I really liked single miserable Scott better because you would work till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And I could get a pre-approval letter from you at nine o'clock on a Friday night and, you know, now happy married Scott, like, like just not as available. And I called him and I was like, Hey man, I, I hope that was a joke. And you're not like really only wanting to work with miserable single people that have no life other to, to respond, you know, to a realtor on Friday night at nine o'clock after I've already put 50 or 60 hours in into a work week. And I can tell you based on his answer, we don't work together anymore. And so, you know, I think as you have other priorities in your life, family, spouse, kids, you know, maybe an ailing parent that you're taking care of, you've just got to be really strategic about who you choose to work with. Because I have referral partners now that, you know, if they call me at 501 and I text them and I'm like, hey, man, I'm at jujitsu with the kids for two hours. I'll hit you back after seven or can this wait till the morning? They're totally understanding. They're like, yeah, hit me up at seven. It's kind of an emergency. I'll take five minutes of your time. Or, hey, no big deal. I was just calling to shoot the shit. Let's talk to tomorrow. Whereas the idea of telling a referral partner to wait, you know, 10 years ago, one, because I was in that scarcity mindset coming out of 2008, and two, because I didn't have a family, the idea of telling a realtor to wait on me would have been unfathomable. Like that text message could never come out of my fingers through the phone. But 
you know, as you get older and more mature, I think you just align with referral partners and business partners that are in those same stages of life, or maybe they're in a different stage of life, but they at least get it, right? And I got to tell you, I think that's one of the beautiful silver linings of COVID is if I'm on a podcast like this or a client call and my kid ends up screaming in the background or the dog's barking, like everybody kind of gets it that you're working from home and there's certain life distractions that are going to take away from business. Um, Whereas I I don't feel like you got that grace a year, you know, a year or two ago. That's interesting. I like that. And, you know, um, well, actually I'm curious on this front with, uh, I know, I know a couple of people in real estate that do listen to the podcast. You know, I, I've talked to them. I mean, to say, you know, it, the market's always crazy, but right now it like, doesn't even make sense, right? Uh, what advice do you have for, for, for maybe people in real estate right now that are struggling because of the low inventory and because of just the, the, just the fact that it just doesn't even make sense right now in the marketplace, the fact that, you know, everything's just, you know, gaining. And actually, it, it just, just go into it. I guess, what, what, would, uh, what would you be doing if you're up and coming in real estate right now? How, do you keep, how are you standing out in the marketplace? How are you, sta- how are you becoming unique? How are you building up with clients? How are, you, how are you differentiating yourself from the market in today's world? If you, were, if you were dropped into 2021 at 21 or 22 or 23, what are you doing differently that maybe the rest of the industry is telling you to do that maybe you see as like, a, you know what, this is what I would do to differentiate myself to make sure that I'm actually going to be setting myself up to win despite everybody doing this. I know that's like asking you for the secret sauce, but I am curious, is there anything that you can think of immediately that you would come to play in terms of maybe less so advice, but more so like a mindset, people that something you can run with in the real estate profession specifically? Yeah, uh, just pray. No, just kidding. Um, So, you know, anecdotally, I've got a good friend who I have pre-approved right now here in Los Angeles. You know, yesterday he made an offer on a house that was listed for, a million ninety nine thousand. He offered a million three hundred fifty thousand. So he offered a quarter million dollars over the list price with very good terms, very good approval, removing some of the contingencies that would normally make the seller scared. There was fifty nine offers on that house, and at a quarter of a million dollars over the listing price, his offer was not even one of the top ten strongest offers to get a counter offer. So like the agent said, Hey, sorry, we're not even going to respond to your client. Best of luck on the next one. So, you know, part of it is like, yeah, it's crazy. Like it doesn't even feel like it's making sense. And right now there's so much pent up demand for housing and there's just not enough houses in major metropolitan areas. So one, you just have to realize it's going to suck and you have to embrace the suck. And if it used to take you an offer or two offers or three offers to get a client's deal accepted and get under contract to actually make revenue, which, you know, nobody makes any money until the deal closes. Um, you know, one, you're just going to have to set the expectations with yourself as a realtor or a lender and or with your client that like, hey, we might be on offer number five or 10 or 15 before we get lucky and we get an offer accepted. So one, I think is just setting expectations will help everybody's sanity. Um, Number two, production solves all problems, right? Like had a shitty day at work, get more deals. Like not making the kind of money you want to make, get more deals. Like it's really not rocket science. You just do more prospecting. You make more effort. You refine your skill set. You close more deals. It solves all your problems. Like, you know, the, the, Coaching clients who I talk to that are complaining, you know, when they're super angry about losing a deal, it's because that's their only deal. 
you know, you talk to a realtor who has seven or eight escrows lined up and they've got 10 buyers shopping. If they lose a deal or something falls apart because it turns out the foundation on the property was all screwed up, they, you know, it sucks, but they're not as devastated because production solves all problems. So number one, set expectations. Number two, production solves all problems. And then number three, even though it's super scary to do when revenue is a little bit tight or you're not quite sure where your next deal is coming from, the sooner that you can hire ahead of demand, the better. You know, the, the best thing I ever did, and I know I'm going to sound like a snooty prima donna here and like just some Los Angeles douche. The smartest thing I ever did was I hired a great executive assistant because she takes so much stuff off my plate it gives me the time and the energy to actually do the lead generation, the marketing, the Facebook strategy, you know, hire other people, get other deals, build relationships. So just setting expectations, working harder and getting more deals, and then hire as soon as you can potentially afford somebody um, because it'll just free up all your time to do more revenue generating activity. Mm, that's good. That's really good. Hey, so you volunteered a lot of your time here. I want to, I want to appreciate it. Let, let's uh, like, Close, close down with a couple of questions here. Um, the podcast, On the Edge with Scott Gross. Give us a little bit of a uh, behind the scenes. What, what are people looking for? Like what kind, who is this podcast built for? Like who, who is like the person to listen to this podcast? I know you were like, oh, you know, it's like, it's me ranting and raving about all this stuff like in my garage. You've also got some pretty cool people that you've had on some other stuff. Tell me a little bit, who is the podcast designed for? Give us a little bit of like a, just a little bit of an overview as to what you guys do. Yeah, so I want to talk to uh, the On the Edge podcast with Scott Groves. I want to talk to two type of people. I want to talk to people that can have a bit of an edgy conversation, whether that's about you know politics or current events or business. So a little bit of an edgy conversation. And I'm a I'm a libertarian, so things kind of tend to skew more towards that libertarian freedom mindset. Uh, or I want to talk to people that make their money in really interesting ways. You know, I was, uh, I was really lucky to have an Olympic gold medalist on the other day. That podcast drops in a couple of weeks. And, you know, just learning how Olympiads make their money in between that four-year stretch in between Olympics is fascinating. So I, you know, because of my, my passion about politics and then my, my business world being about how people make their money so we can qualify for a loan. I love talking about politics and I love talking about all the weird ways that people make money. So uh, that's, that's kind of the gist of it. And then we end up just talking for like two or three hours about random shit. So next time you can fly out to California, we have to have you on and talk about, you know, being divisional manager at 19 of like a multi-million dollar business. Yeah. And hopefully we'll be, uh, hopefully we'll hit that run rate here at impact launch as well here soon, but I do appreciate that. Yeah, Scott, let's, let's close this down. Last question for you. By the way, that's a total yes. Next time I'm in California, I'll hit you up. I just got to see the studio, if anything. The studio looks badass. All right, last question. You know, um, uh, for yourself, what, what are you what are you leaning into right now in 2021? Is it the, I know you got the, you, you mentioned you're like, I'm the man with all the distractions, but they're good distractions. You're really productive distractions. You're moving forward on a lot of different projects. What's next for Scott? What are you growing? Uh, what are you ripping and revving on? And uh, when, if we have the privilege to have you back on, at some point in the future, what are we going to be talking about? Where are you going to be growing? Yeah, so I sat down first with my coach, uh, then with my wife, then with the team, and talked about our goals for the year, uh, starting on January 1st. And it all just leveled out at 100. So you can't see it here, but I've got this big graphic on my wall with a th th thermometer going from zero to 100. 
and the goal is, you know, as a team, we want to do a hundred million dollars in production. Uh, I want to get in a hundred jujitsu private lessons. Cause I really want to get a blue and then a purple belt. Cause I'm new in it. And I've like got an ego around that. Uh, I want to do a hundred days, either on the road, vacation or quality time without my cell phone on with my family. And we want to get a hundred new coaching clients for the mortgage business. And we want to do a hundred podcasts. So it's like, you know, just a hundred across the board. And, uh, and we're, we're there, like we're on track, you know, we're filming this at the beginning of April. We've got already 25 million in loan production done. I've got 60 jujitsu workouts done. Uh, I'm lacking a little bit with the family vacation time, but we've got a month vacation planned in June. We're going to be in Cabo for about a month. And then uh, Danielle's growing the business and the coaching and growing the mortgage business. Uh, you know, we're just making it happen. And then I've got another guy, Chris, who I hired to edit and manage the podcast side of it. And so I, I think we're going to get there. So it's like, it's 500 tasks basically that we want to get done this year. That fires me up. Scott, appreciate your time like crazy. We got to bring you back on when you hit the 500 number, uh, maybe at the end of the year, that's going to be a goal. Yeah, I, dude, if that happens, I'm framing that poster and I'm just, I'm going to retire. I'm just going to walk off like a, like a walk off home run. Oh, maybe you'll be on Joe Rogan at that point. The 500, the 500 man, he'll be absolutely killing it. Um, Scott, this was a lot of fun. We got to have you back on again. So I can't believe it took us this long to do this. Um, and that's my fault. I didn't hit you up until then. So babe, appreciate you like crazy. Thanks so much for volunteering your time. And uh, yeah, real quick, uh, where can people find you? Social media, where can they, where, where is somebody from this podcast? They got to get more Scott in their life. What's going on? Where can they find you? Yeah, Scott Groves, just find me on Facebook. Obviously, Aaron and I are our personal friends. By the way, I'm not the good looking Scott Groves life coach from Australia who thinks he's Tony Robbins, but only has three followers. I'm Scott Groves, the loan officer guy out of Los Angeles, California, because that dude owns all things. ScottGroves.com, it drives me nuts. So we're Scott Groves team. And uh, the Scott Groves out of Los Angeles. Uh, if you need a mortgage, you know where to find me. If you want the book, it's uh, Lead Generate 61 Days to Double Your Pay. And Aaron, thanks so much, man. I can't wait. Dude, I've got a ton of frequent flyer miles. If you want to just take a weekend vacation out here to LA, we'll put you on Southwest and we'll do the uh, podcast. Just let me know. Bro, I, I, all right. I might have to take you up on that one. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Scott, appreciate you so much for coming on the show. Let's get after it. Talk soon. Appreciate you. Talk soon. Bye. Yo, yo. You made it to the end of the podcast. Congratulations. I really hope this was um, I hope this was a fun one for you. We love uh, these interviews. So if this was something that was profound, it hit you hard, share this with a friend. We don't monetize the podcast in any way, shape, or form. This is uh, strictly for personal development and growth. And frankly, it's a passion project of my own. So um, I really appreciate you all for not only taking the time to, to listen, but uh, in helping build this show. Uh, if it impacted you, the best way that you can help us and you can expand the Get After message is to share this with someone who needs it, uh, to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, um, and to just, again, like share the word, like share this with your friends, share this with people who uh, could be impacted by this. And special, special thanks to our guest today. And with all that being said, I really hope this episode and the daily ones as well are helping you get after it in your life, work, business, whatever it is that you're rolling with. Let's roll. Let's get after it. Make it a great one. Talk soon.